0: Our cases here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed involve physical, mental, and emotional trauma. Please listen with caution and care. Reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, if you or someone you love needs help. No one is alone. The Rocky Mountains Hold Many Mysteries Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in into Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, Mel. We've got a few exciting things we want to share quickly with all of our listeners. Yes, we have quite a few new listeners and we are so happy that you're all here with us today. That's very happy. Yeah. So we have started to give away our stickers that we just got in and everybody can get one. So Becky, why don't you tell us what they have to do? They are so cool. I just love our stickers. All you have to do is is um, DM us, whatever on on social media. You can email us, just contact us with your address and we will just send you a sticker out and help us get the word out and represent us. And the stickers are really cool looking. Yeah, they're super cool. So Mm -hmm. you can check out our social media. I'll be posting more pictures of those, but check that out and send us a DM or an email and we'll get that in the mail for you. Yes, and they are absolutely free. We just wanna share them with all of our friends. Yep, so no cost for the stickers, send us send us a message yeah, you'll love it so our social medias you can follow us on Facebook our Instagram is at Rocky Mountain red-handed you can send us an email Rocky Mountain red at gmail.com and our Twitter is RMRH podcast yeah so with that let's get to today's case shall we yes so let me tell you this case today is nutballs I just this one's a crazy one Mel. be ready for it <laughs> nutballs <laughs> Don't you say that ball? No! (laughs) Are you thinking of like. But I'm not gonna edit this out because it's amazing. (laughs) Sorry, guys, leaving it in. Here we go. In the late 1980s, Cave Creek, Arizona was home sweet home to the Morris family. Yeah, located just an hour outside of downtown Phoenix. It has a real small town feel with just 3,000 residents. Located at 7041 East Sierra Vista Drive, the beautiful Spanish-style home sat on a full five acres and is nestled into the beautiful desert mountains. Children Randy, Cindy, and Donna spent their teenage years here in Cave Creek and then as kids... They graduated high school and moved on to build their own lives. In 1989, their parents, Earl and Ruby, still lived on Sierra Vista Drive as empty nesters. Yeah, they stayed really busy still and very active with their own lives. Yeah, they were partners in marriage and in business. Yeah, together, they had started and built a thriving accounting and tech prep. Text prep. Pardon me, Mel. Business in Phoenix. They were both accountants and were equal partners in the business. Yeah, I need to say, well done, Ruby. This is back in the 1970s and 80s when women did not pursue a career in accounting and tax prep. Yeah, she definitely seemed to be like before her time, right? She was smart and motivated. So mm-hmm. this is awesome. Yeah, very much so. Um, their years of hard work had definitely paid off. They were very successful. In fact, they were millionaires. Galen Earl Morris, who goes by Earl met Ruby at a honky-tonk in Memphis, Tennessee in 1959. They were married less than a year later, and Earl adopted Ruby's young son, Randy. Earl was a former Marine pilot and stood healthy and strong at six feet tall. Ruby loved how he was like a snazzy dresser and had, she said he had perfect posture. He had a commanding personality and all seemed to pay attention when he walked into a room. As the years went on, 29, 29 years of marriage to be exact, um, the couple had seen changes in each other, as most couples do, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Earl wore a pretty ridiculous jet black toupee as he was very self-conscious about his vanishing hairline. Um, I'm going to make a quick public service announcement. Oh boy, Becky, <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> Fellas, we like bald heads. If you are losing your hair, just shave it off. Just yeah, shave it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I agree with that. I feel like a toupee looks worse. Yeah, don't... Don't, under any circumstances, don't wear a toupee. No, just just don't do <laughs> just it. Just shave That's it. That's yeah. our PSA for the day. <laughs> exactly, our, our service to the community. Exactly. So Ruby had grown depressed and more despondent in the last few years, which a lot of women go through when their kids grow up. After June 4th, 1989, the Morris family would never be the same. Neither would the entire world. So let's turn back our clocks. In the U.S., Bette Midler's wind beneath my wings made everyone sway with emotion. A beautiful song. I remember it was number one at the time. That was a huge song. But the world looked on in horror at Tiananmen Square. Yeah, a two-month standoff between student-led groups and the Chinese government hit its climax when martial law was declared and the military occupied large areas of Beijing. Thousands were killed and thousands were injured. I know, again, we've made this very clear, but I am older than you. Do you remember Tiananmen Square? No, I was like three at the time. <laughs> if this was 1989, I was three. Okay, I, I remember this very clearly. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people know the pictures more than the name. It's the picture of that the man alone standing in front of the tanks. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about now? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it actually happened the exact day of our crime today. Oh, wow, mm-hmm. that's so crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally remember watching this on the news with my dad. I don't. I was... A- oblivious You're to right. that what was going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's when our story begins today on june 4th 1989. it was in the early morning hours earl who was 51 years old packed his car up for a quick trip to california his daughter donna who was 28 years old was a rising star in the country western music scene she was performing at a concert that weekend so ruby who was 49 years old was not going on the trip to see donna this time she had planned a day of shopping with her other daughter cindy cindy who was 23 And she was working as a server at the time, had just moved into her her own home. And the mother-daughter duo was planning on buying new furniture and like setting the house up. But when Ruby didn't show up at Cindy's to pick her up as planned for their shopping day, Cindy called her parents' home, but nobody picked up the phone. Well, you know, of course we were in 1989, so no cell phones. Cindy grew so concerned that she drove the 60 minutes out to Cave Creek to her childhood home. She knew that this was really unlike her mom, The no show, no answer. Ruby would never do that to her daughter. Yeah, Ruby was well organized and would always keep her plans. She knew something seemed really wrong. So Becky, would you know by like such a small thing like this that something was wrong with your mom? Um, my mom's a pretty busy lady, so I I don't think I would be that quick to react. I don't think I would be there. You don't don't think so either? I don't think I would jump that quick to it. But, you know, obviously she knew something was up. Mm -hmm. So Cindy pulled up to her parents' home and noticed her mom's butter yellow Cadillac was parked in a different spot than the way she normally parked. That I would know. Because my parents park in a very specific way. That's funny. Mm-hmm. She entered the home and found the security alarm was not armed. The house felt off. Like something wasn't right. The faucet the faucet was dripping. There were dirty clothes piled high on the washer. And her mom wouldn't do that. She always started the wash right away. The carpet shampoo cleaner was left out in the middle of the room. Yeah. Now I could tell this. I would know by walking into my parents' house. If something was off, can you yeah, especially my mom 's pretty clean, and so I think I could tell if you walked in if you walked into my house and there were clothes and dirty dishes, <laughs> you wouldn 't know a thing, but no with my with my mom 's house, though, I know exactly like How where my has dad it. has been, yes. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so Cindy knew something was definitely wrong in her parents' home. Cindy called nine one one and reported her mom as missing, yeah her father, Earl, was in California. So it took hours and hours to contact um, to get contact with him there in California. Cindy was finally able to get a hold of her father and she told him about Ruby's disappearance. Earl was like immediately concerned and said that he would head home right now from California. Sergeant Lee Luganbull was assigned as lead detective. Law enforcement casually looked around the couple's home, but they assumed that this would be like a normal missing person's case. 95% of missing person phone calls end up with the missing person showing back up in less than 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've definitely heard this before, even though it is probably your run-of-the-mill phone call um, of the missing person. The police were still going to do what they could for the Morris family, which is awesome because a lot of families, you know, get totally blown off by the police. Yeah, an officer stayed outside the home in his patrol car waiting for Earl Morris to arrive back home. Which, yeah, again, I need to say I'm actually surprised that law enforcement was that serious to, to have a, a officer stand, stationed outside. Yeah, they took it serious like right from the beginning, which as you, we hear about in cases all the time. Not always the case. Um, they're usually false alarms. So it makes sense. It's sad that they get blown off, but I can it see makes why. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So way to go, Arizona. Morris needed to be questioned as soon as possible. He waited and waited and waited and waited. Morris took longer than expected, but he did finally show up. But he was not in his El Camino as expected, but in a rental car. Sergeant Luganbowl and Morris sat down for a chat about Ruby and her disappearance. Morris shared that they have had a good relationship with just occasional arguments. Um, As all couples do from time to time, right? For sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we've all said it before. If your marriage is perfect, you're lying. Right. You're totally lying. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. He said that sometimes Ruby had the habit of taking off after a fight, but she would always call. Yeah, a few things were missing from around the Morris home, which was kind of weird. Sergeant Lugan Bull had noticed Ruby's purse was missing from the house. Yeah, so Morris noticed the pistol he kept in his closet was also missing. The Morris's had around 25 registered guns. All the firearms were accounted for except for one, and I gotta say for our listeners who are not in the Rocky Mountains, 25 registered guns is pretty, you know, nothing nothing bad out of the ordinary. Nothing too crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the gun that they used for home protection that they kept in their bedroom. Yeah, it was a 22 caliber long-barreled pistol. So this case was shaping up to be more than just a simple missing persons case. Sergeant Loganball started to think was Ruby really missing? Was Ruby suicidal? Could this be a homicide? Sergeant Luganbowl noticed that Morris was not in his El Camino as expected. Yeah, he'd driven up to the house in a rental car. Morris said he had some car trouble on the way home from California. His El Camino had broken down in Blythe, California, so he said that he had hitched a ride till he could find a rental car to complete the rest of his trip home. Yeah. Things were so different before cell phones. It's so true. <laughs> so they walked uh, So they walked out to the rental car and the detective noticed something right away. Attached to a small suitcase was a brand new airline luggage tag. Busted. <laughs> yeah, this is lie number one for Mr. Earl Morris. Yeah, yeah. He said he had broken down on the road. Um, he didn't say anything about a flight. Yeah, it was clearly marked for a recent flight from San Diego to Phoenix. So why would Morris lie about something like his means of travel, Mal? So Sergeant Lugenbull checked the flight manifest. No Earl Morris, but there was a G. Morris. Remember, his birth name was Galen Earl Morris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Lugenbull needed to know for certain if Morris had been on that flight. So the airline crew members were asked to look at a picture lineup. A uh, picture lineup is like an alternative to an in-person lineup. Held at a police station. Instead of having the person of interest like physically line up with others, they have a piece of paper with several, usually like six to 12 pictures printed on it. Yeah. One of these pictures would be the person of interest along with like a bunch of random people. Yeah. Sergeant Luganbull questioned the flight crew and asked them if they could identify the G. Morris from the recent flight. And one flight attendant remembered him immediately. How do you think she recognized him? (laughs) Uh, listeners what did we just discuss about a man's appearance his toupee yep she identified him right away because she had remembered his terrible toupee another reason why you shouldn't wear toupees right law enforcement knew they needed a warrant to search the morris home thoroughly so let's take our first break from our amazing sponsors Give your brain the natural nutrients, blood flow, and neurotransmitter support it needs to make the fight with depression an unfair fight. Get stronger daily with Whole Supplement. Build momentum each day with the Whole Depression Relief Stack, the three targeted daily formulas that will help you feel, enjoy, and progress again. So, how do you take the Whole Stack? One, wake up formula. Take wake up in the morning with a glass of water to kick off your day with motivation and energy. Number two is the daytime formula. Take daytime around lunch to ensure you have the focus, mood, and productivity to power through the day. That sounds like something we all need. Number three, the sleep it off formula. Take sleep it off about an hour before you plan to go to sleep for amazing rest and brain support that will consistently set you up for better days. I've experienced depression since I was a teen. I try to do my best to take care of my mental and emotional health and manage my anxiety and depression. But even with medication, I can find myself struggling some days. I started taking whole supplement just a couple weeks ago and I already feel like I'm giving my body the armor it needs to win the fight each and every day. The ingredients in whole supplements have been used for hundreds of years. They just haven't been put together this way to help people struggling with depression. Mm -hmm. There are no proprietary blends and no hidden ingredients in whole supplement. So here's Adam Steer, founder and CVO of Whole Supplement. I started Whole Supplement with a mission to help others who, like myself, have struggled with finding relief from depression and anxiety. Our number one goal is to empower everyone we can to make meaningful progress every single day. So now is the time to take care of your emotional and mental health. During the pre launch offer, you can receive the entire whole depression relief stack at 15% off. Go to wholesupplement.com and use code ROCKY MOUNTAIN. Again, go to wholesupplement.com and use coupon code ROCKY MOUNTAIN. Mm. Simplify your fight with the whole stack from whole supplement. Thank you so much to our sponsors. So law enforcement wanted a warrant to search the Morris family home. Well, they got one and the crime text descended on the home at Sierra Vista Drive. They started in the master bedroom. Luminol was our first step. They were looking for evidence of blood splatter. Yeah, luminol is a chemical formula that causes any blood enzymes, whether visible by the human eye or not, to glow on contact. Yeah, so the luminol was sprayed on the headboard of the bed And of course, it lit up instantly. Yeah, the luminol showed a large, fine mist pattern of blood splatter. Okay, so we're going to do a little homework here. We need to give you a little crash course on blood splatter. Different attacks cause different blood patterns. Yeah, So a beating or a bludgeoning would cause a low impact pattern. These droplets are usually like four millimeters or larger, and it's caused by the low velocity. So if you can, I mean, this is kind of gruesome. But you can imagine, you know, bludgeoning someone, the blood's going to like splatter in larger droplets. Yeah. A stabbing would cause like a medium pattern of blood splatter. The medium velocity impact droplets are smaller than low impact. They're between one millimeter and four millimeters each. Yeah. So then a gunshot causes a high impact pattern. The blood sprays in like a mist causing many small droplets. These are like under one millimeter each and it's caused by the high velocity i'm sure we've all seen a high velocity splatter it's just that fine fine mist and we are just learning so many new things from this podcast the more you know right yes Mm -hmm. the crime scene technicians quickly identified a high velocity blood pattern in the morris home. The luminol detected high-velocity blood splatter, the mist we spoke about, all over the headboard. The mattress and inside the mattress showed blood staining and pooling. Mm-hmm. The techs worked their way through the bedroom. The luminol detected blood on the carpeting in the bedroom, the patio outside of the bedroom, and in the bathroom that was located just outside of the bedroom. Yeah, in fact, the shower stall completely lit up in the luminal testing. It was obvious to law enforcement that someone had suffered from a serious injury in this bedroom. Possibly a murder. The blood samples from the Morris bedroom were rushed to the crime lab. And again, remember, this is 1989, so they are just looking to confirm that the blood samples came from Ruby via her DNA. Yeah, to confirm Ruby's blood identification, they turned to her children, Randy cindy and donna okay so here's another crash course for you on (laughs) dna genetics you're gonna give me a test afterwards yeah only for you and i know Mm -hmm. (laughs) listeners are off the hook right exactly yeah So DNA identification testing can be confirmed by blood relatives, which of course we all know this, right? A child receives 50% of their DNA from their mother and 50% of their DNA from their father. Yeah. So using a child's blood sample, scientists can get enough genetic information to identify the missing parent via the child's DNA. Scientists can extract the other parent's DNA and then create a full DNA profile of the missing person. So which is pretty, like we're all comfortable with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Ruby's children gave their sample to assist in the investigation and... Well, things didn't go quite as expected. Yeah, so now we know that Randy, who was 32 years old at the time, he was married with a wife, had three kids of his own... Um, That, of course, he would just have one band to match his sisters, right? Yeah. Remember, he was adopted by Earl Morris at a young age. Yes. Mm -hmm. So all three children had one matching band of DNA in common. Yeah, their mom, Ruby. Mm -hmm. But the second band... So Donna shared the second band with her father, Earl. But Randy and Cindy did not... So that means that Earl was not Randy's father, which we already knew. Right. And also Cindy, Cindy's father, was not Earl either. But they shared the same second band of DNA. So that means that they have the same father. Yeah. Oops. Who is not Earl Morris. Oops. The second matching band, the mystery father of Randy and Cindy, also shared DNA with Ruby. Yeah, um meaning that Randy and Cindy's biological father was their grandfather Mel, Ruby's father. Yeah, the father of two of Ruby's children was Ruby's own father. Oh, that's Terrible, terrible news. So sad. Poor Ruby. Mm -hmm. Tennessee law enforcement was contacted, and Ruby's father, Clyde B. Williams, was arrested and charged with incest. He had raped his daughter from the time she was just 15 years Mm -hmm. old. The Morris family secrets were coming out, and it must have just been devastating to the children. Cindy opened up to the detectives and shared another family secret. Oh man, I don't know how many more family secrets that this family can handle i agree this is this is a heavy one Mm -hmm. ruby had been suffering from depression and anxiety brought on due to a long-running affair her husband had been involved in in the past few years Yeah. morris was having an affair with not just any women but ruby's sister peggy williams hinton oh my gosh this poor ruby so sad i know she needs a break right yeah Ruby and Cindy had caught the two together, red handed, as they say. (laughs) Yeah, that's the name of our show. (laughs) Peggy denied the relationship when confronted by her sister Ruby. Morris didn't deny the affair, but he did refuse to end it. Poor Ruby was filled with panic every single time her husband went out of town. Yeah, she suspected that he was sneaking off to be with her sister Peggy. Which most of the time, Ruby was correct. Peggy lived in Monroe, Louisiana, but she and Morris spent a lot of weekends in San Diego together. So this woman is literally flying across the country to sleep with her sister's husband who wears a terrible toothpick. <laughs> yeah. Earl and Ruby's marriage was definitely on the rocks. Ruby had threatened to shoot Earl for his betrayal. Which, can you blame her? No, I'm just kidding. She threatened she would divorce him and take all the money and the business. You know, the normal fighting in the middle of a divorce. Yeah. Ruby also threatened that she would turn him into the authorities for unethical business practices. You see, Morris had been illegally skimming money from their company for years and years and years. And another family secret, right? There's a lot of Morris family secrets. Yeah. Earl Morris was a man that had a lot to lose. Yeah. So that weekend, Peggy was planning on joining Morris in San Diego for a little lovely weekend getaway. But unexpectedly, she missed her flight. Sergeant Luganbowl verified that Morris was on the suspected flight, all thanks to that flight attendant who remembered his hideous toupee. Yep, and they located his car abandoned at the San Diego Airport parking lot. Crime scene techs closely examined the El Camino. It was clean, except... A large bloodstain was found in the passenger floorboards just under the seat. Yeah, with such a large bloodstain pool, techs observed the passenger... The person who rode in that shotgun seat had to be dead the pool was that big they tested the blood stain from the vehicle and it was verified the person who the blood came from it was of course our dear Ruby Morris okay so now we know that Ruby was probably deceased at this point yes uh-huh we have blood splatter from the high velocity wound on the headboard pooling in the bathtub, and a large bloodstain in her husband's car at the passenger's floorboards. Yeah, things are not looking too bright for her. Yeah, mm -hmm. but where is Ruby's body? Could it possibly be somewhere in San Diego? So Sergeant Lugan discovered that Morris actually owned a boat. A 26-foot cabin cruiser named High Low. Hi, low, Like, hello. Clever. It was stored. <laughs> it was stored at the marina in San Diego. So, law enforcement went to check on the boat, but it was missing. The marina checked their records and found that Morris had taken his boat out on June fifth. Yeah, that's the day after Ruby disappeared. Law enforcement contacted the Coast Guard to see if they could help locate the boat, and they shared a little tidbit of information they had. Yeah, just the day before, the Coast Guard had been called out to a boat fire. The boat was 13 miles offshore when it was found completely engulfed in flames. There were no survivors waiting to be rescued. The investigators pieced together what they could. Yeah, the boat had burned from the center of the craft out. Yeah, this was odd because all boat fires start in the fuel compartment. Which completely makes sense, yeah. A large lantern was seen in the middle of the boat, almost like someone used it to start the fire. Oh my goodness. So, now, who could have done that? Who would do that? Possibly someone trying to hide or destroy something forever? Yeah, maybe someone like Earl? Probably. The hull of the boat capsized capsized first and sank to the bottom of the Pacific, which is about 2,000 feet down to the ocean floor. The marina was able to share another piece of information about Morris that day. He rented a small boat on the morning of June 5th and returned it just a few hours later about 12 p.m. Now, why would somebody rent a boat when they already own their own, Becky? that would explain why there was no survivors waiting for the coast guard right yeah. mm-hmm. returning at about the same time as the coast guard had discovered his boat on fire yeah so in march the following year 1990 Earl Morris was indicted and charged with first-degree murder of his wife, Ruby Morris. He pleaded not guilty and looked forward to a trial to prove his innocence. Yeah, never trust a man with a bad toupee, Mel. (laughs) Morris remained free on bond for $548,000. Yeah, first-degree murder is hard enough to prosecute, but then throw in the lack of a victim's body. The prosecution had a tough road in front of them. Yeah, they first have to prove that there even was a murder, just not someone running away and starting a new life. Mm -hmm, Yep. Then they had to prove who was the murderer. Yeah, that's double duty for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they believe they had enough evidence to prove Ruby Morris was dead and murdered by Earl Morris, her husband of almost 30 years. Here is the story presented by Maricopa County Deputy Attorney Bill Clayton during the trial. So either the evening of Friday, June 3rd, or early morning hours of Saturday, June 4th, 1989, Morris entered the master bedroom. He shot Ruby while she lay asleep in their shared bed. Morris then dragged her body to the bathroom just off of the bedroom. He removed her clothing and placed her in the bathtub to drain the blood from her body. While Ruby's body was laid in the bathtub, Morris went to clean up his mess. He tried to clean the headboard and carpets even pulling out the carpet shampoo cleaner to remove the blood from the rugs. Yeah, that's right. Remember, it was left out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He then went back to Ruby and removed her from the tub and dressed her in a jogging suit. Morris must have removed Ruby's car, that's why it was parked so unusually, Mm -hmm. and pulled his car close to the doorway. Which would make sense because uh, a dead body is very, very heavy and awkward. His car, the El Camino, did not have a trunk. So this is terrible, Mel. Get ready. He had to sit her up in the passenger seat. Mm. He placed a hat on her head to cover up her head wound. He then returned to clean the bathtub, which was full of his wife's blood, of course. After Morris was done with his remorseless house chores, Earl got behind the wheel and drove with his wife's body sitting in the passenger seat. Mel, can you repeat that one more time? This guy, Earl Morris, drove with his wife's body sitting in the passenger seat. Sitting in the passenger seat. This dude literally drove from Phoenix to San Diego with a corpse. His wife's corpse sitting beside him in the front of an El Camino. Yeah, any car that passed him on the road would just assume they were like a happy older couple on a drive down the coast. Yeah, Morris even stopped for fuel and no one noticed anything wrong with the passenger who seemed to be quote-unquote sleeping. Earl Morris was a man who had just murdered his wife of almost 30 years, and he drove over 400 miles with his dead wife sitting next to him. I honestly have no words for this guy. I, I I don't either. It's like an unfunny weekend at Bernie's. Yes, exactly. Yes. Very mm-hmm. sad. But little did he know... As Morris drove, Ruby left her mark. Her blood was not completely drained, as Morris had assumed. Yeah, Ruby's body dripped blood for the entire six-hour drive. The big blood stain on the passenger floorboards under the seat was the last of Ruby's blood draining out of her body. So when Morris arrived at the marina on the 5th, he hooked up his boat and then rented the second. The second boat, yeah. In broad daylight, Morris loaded Ruby's body, the sheets from their marital bed, the murder weapon, the lantern, and a lot of gasoline into the hull of his boat. Yeah, and then Morris drove his boat while towing the rented boat out into the Pacific. 13 miles offshore, alone on the ocean, he prepared for the fire. Yeah, he doused his boat with gasoline and then lit the lantern. So I know this is crazy, but this was a real couple, like a real family. I know. How did it come to this? How did this happen? I know, when I was researching this, like, this moment really, like, caught my attention. As he was preparing to light the boat on fire, I wonder if he said anything to ruby at that moment yeah with no one else around alone on the ocean did he like talk to her body the way he spoke to her when they were in love did he explain to like was it try to explain to her why he had shot her did he apologize for killing her did he say how sorry he was for being a cheating crappy husband yeah did he beg for her forgiveness for robbing her of her life the decades lost with her children Was she there with him in spirit that moment when he destroyed her mortal body? Or did he just throw the lantern without a word? We'll never know. With that, he turned his back and drove away on the rented boat. Like, this case is just crazy to me how someone could do that to their partner for 30 years. He left his wife's body to burn and then sink to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Let's take a break to hear a word from our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code, red-handed. A big thank you to our sponsors. So Earl had just left his wife's body and his boat to burn and sink into the ocean. Yeah, he was long gone before the Coast Guard arrived at the site. The whole of the boat sank and nothing could be recovered. So now let's turn to the defense. Yes, attorney Tom Hentz um, whether by choice or not, we don't know. Put Earl Morris on the stand. You know, it's, it's always their choice. Right. Mm-hmm. He testified for two full days. Morris claimed he last saw his wife alive in their bedroom. He said he was in the garage doing a few odd jobs around midnight when he heard a gunshot. It didn't alarm him too much because gunshots were pretty common out in the desert. He didn't realize that the shot had come from inside his home. After he'd finished tinkering in the garage, he entered the house and walked into his bedroom. He said he saw Ruby lying with blood coming out of her head. Morris grabbed a towel and tried to stop the bleeding. He saw the gun laying on her stomach. He said he tried to give her CPR, but there was so much blood all over the pillows and the sheets. Yeah, I mean, I would think it would be close to impossible to give CPR to someone, like, laying on a bed, right? There's no way you could. I agree. There is, like, too much give on a mattress. This does not sound right. In a panic, Morris said he didn't call 911 because they did not have a phone in their bedroom. But he did pull the security alarm, which is supposed to alert emergency dispatch. Yeah, that's... I'm not buying that at all. Mm-hmm. The average response time should have been about 30 minutes, but no emergency alarm was ever received by the dispatch. Yeah. Then Morris said he realized he would get blamed for Ruby's death. So he picked her up and took her to the bathtub. He said he tried to clean her up by changing her clothes, but she just kept bleeding. Yeah, that's because she just got shot in the head, yeah. guy. Um, His attorney, Mr. Hentz, asked where she was bleeding. Morris answered, from the temple area, her left temple. It was just one wound. He decided to load Ruby's body into his El Camino while he cleaned up the bathroom and bedroom. Then on Sunday the 5th, with one of his baseball caps on her head to cover the bullet wound, he pulled out of the driveway at 6 a.m. and headed to San Diego. Okay, I'm sorry. To clarify, he's doing all of this because he didn't want to be blamed for Ruby's death? Yeah, it just does not make sense at all. It completely doesn't make sense. Your first reaction would be to call 911 and to get help to her. Yeah, he's just grasping at straws in yeah, his defense. Completely. Morris said he almost changed his mind about driving to California. He thought about dumping his wife and the evidence in an abandoned mine shaft. Yeah, while sitting on the stand during his trial, he said he thought if he hurried and got done disposing of his wife's body and the evidence in time, get this, Mel, then he would still have time to catch his scheduled flight to San Diego and meet his mistress. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? He, I cannot believe he said that on the stand. That's yeah. so gross. Yeah, he said it on the stand. Yeah, he's not winning any awards for being a good human being anytime soon. Yeah, he thought if he hurried. He could catch up with his wife's sister, the wife that he had propped up in the passenger seat. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense, don't you think, Mel? (laughs) Instead, he realized he didn't have enough time, so he drove down to San Diego, which is a six-hour drive. Yeah, Ruby's body sat straight. He said, quote, it looked like she was sleeping. While on the stand, Morris described his plan on how he was going to tow his own boat out and burn his wife's body on the boat get this, a group of school children came into the courtroom. Oh no, this case is like the stuff of nightmares for these children. Yeah, not exactly child appropriate. Yeah, a reporter said the kids shuffled loudly down the pew to find a seat. You see, they were there to witness how our judicial system works. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that is great. What an amazing learning experience. But maybe check the court docket to see which trial you're walking into right yeah that'd probably be a good idea to check beforehand yeah the judge this reporters of the judge shocked to see the children coming into his courtroom during such a dark case and like a dark moment in the case Seemed to be, like, super caught off guard and just stared at the kids. Once the children all sat down, the judge said, like, in a panicky voice, very loudly, I'm sorry, you must go to another courtroom. You can't stay here. Probably a good idea. Yeah, I'm glad that he did that. Kicked him out. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the reporters of the children's mouths fell wide open in surprise, and they shuffled out slowly. (laughs) That's funny. Back to Morris now. Yeah, so Morris said he towed his own boat. And it took one hour to get out far enough, which is about 12 to 13 miles. He said he set the boat on fire and drove back to return the rented boat. Okay, so let me get this straight. Morris is stating that Ruby died by suicide. Yeah, he is claiming that she was dead when her body was loaded into the boat. And he's stating that he set the fire. But that he didn't kill his wife. Okay, so Morris said she died by suicide. She was guilty and depressed. Guilt because her husband wasn't the father of two of their children. Mm-hmm, okay, depressed over his affair with her sister, Peggy. Morris said he felt like he had to hide her body by suicide because he felt he would be blamed for it. That's quite the lame story there, Mel. Uh, quite mm-hmm. the story. So after disposing of Ruby's body and burning the boat, Morris went straight to the airport and caught the flight home at 1.30 p.m. Yeah, by this time, Morris said he had been awake for almost 48 hours. When he arrived home on June 5th, 1989, maybe looking forward to a nap, he was greeted by a police officer waiting outside his car. Yeah, better forget about that nap, Mr. Morris. Yeah, delirious from no sleep, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so Mel, if you are an attorney how would you go about cross-examining this guy? Like attack him straight out and shred his unbelievable, I was trying to protect my family, myself and my wife's reputation story. Or would you like work him a bit, try to let him contradict himself? get his guard down. Like, what's your technique here? Mel? I would be a terrible attorney, so <laughs> I I don't know. My go-to would just be to attack him, but it's probably a better idea to come at him slow and train. You're pretty vicious. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so during cross-examination, prosecutor Clayton tried the sneaky approach. Here's an excerpt from the court transcript. I'll be Maricopa County Deputy Attorney Bill Clayton, and Mel, will you be Earl Morris for <laughs> Do I have to wear a toupee? sure yeah Mm -hmm. so okay so this is bill clinton you lied to your wife ruby yes you lied to the detectives yes you lied to the sheriff's deputy yes you lied to ruby many many times didn't you after waiting a few beats he answered i think deceive might be a better word you like the word deceive better yes is deceiving nicer than lying A lie is when you tell a falsehood. Deceiving is when you give an impression that's false. So let me get this straight. You cleaned up your wife to dump her into a mine shaft? But I changed my mind. So when you changed your mind, you decided she was already dressed for a trip to San Diego. She was presentable. Is that right? Yes. You told us you sounded the alarm for help. Did you ever think about calling a second time? Yes, I did. Do you know there is no record of you making a call for help? Morris gave no answer. You told us the bullet wound was in Ruby's left temple? Yes. Ruby was right-handed. Isn't that right? Kate, take a pause on this transcript. Did you catch that? Right-handed. If Ruby is right-handed, why would the bullet wound be on her left temple? Busted again. Forensic evidence shows she could not have died by suicide. Yeah. The gunshot was in the left side of her head in the temple but ruby was right-handed it's impossible for a right-handed person to shoot themselves in the left side of the head especially in this situation the 22 caliber pistol she used uh, supposedly she used was a long barrel. Yeah, that barrel would have been about 12 to 16 inches long. Yeah, completely impossible. The prosecution also shared that the blood spatter evidence showed two distinct layers of blood splatter. And Mel, what does two distinct layers of blood splatter mean? It means two different shots to Ruby's head. Mm-hmm. Yep, it showed two separate angles of blood spatter. An individual who shoots themselves in the head cannot shoot themselves twice. Yeah. Earl Morris's trial lasted six full weeks and held the attention of the Phoenix and Southern California media. So... I think I know the answer to this, Becky, but <laughs> what do you think? Guilty or not guilty? Yeah, this is an easy one. Slam dunk on this one. Guilty. What do you think, yeah, Mel? I mean, no talking about it. Totally yeah. guilty. Mm-hmm. The Maricopa County jury took just three hours to deliberate. Earl Morris was convicted of first degree murder and was sentenced to 25 years to life. He was also fined $205,500 for court and investigative costs. Yeah, I've got to say Maricopa County Deputy Attorney Bill Clinton did a fantastic job. Yeah. I agree. No body cases are usually pretty notoriously difficult, but D.A. Clayton presented a really rock solid case. Earl Morris was admitted to Arizona Department of Corrections on May 11th, 1992. As of the time Becky wrote this script, Morris has been incarcerated for 11,312 days. Not, not Not quite long enough. Yeah, he's been a prisoner longer than the time he was married to Ruby. Morris has been up to some new experiences since he settled into his last home. The former tax accountant and millionaire has worked as a painter, a groundskeeper, a trash collector within the walls of the prison. He is currently housed in the Winchester unit of the Arizona State Prison in Tucson. So let's get back to what really matters in the story, and that is Ruby. Yeah, she really did have a rough life. She was sexually abused and raped as a child of all people by her own father. Yeah. And she had a traitorous sister who was sneaking around behind her back with her husband. Yeah. And not to mention a terrible husband who obviously didn't respect her and treat her as she deserved. Yeah. She was smart and successful. She built a business in a time when there weren't a lot of women working outside the home let alone she owned and managed the business. Yeah. Most importantly, she was a wonderful mother to her three children. So let's remember Ruby and may she rest in peace. This case is a great example of different departments and organizations really working together. Arizona law enforcement, California law enforcement, forensic experts, and the Coast Guard. Yeah, there are a lot of questions about the details of this case still. Yeah, there's just so many unknowns. But I gotta tell you, the one that is the most pressing to me was it was Peggy involved? Did she know what was going to happen? Yeah, she was supposed to be in San Diego that weekend, right? And she missed her mm-hmm. flight at the last second. Yeah, All, yeah. also she has never admitted to the relationship with Earl Morris. Mm-hmm. Even on the stand, she denied having the affair. So what do you think, Mel? Was she involved? It's so hard because I would make the assumption and maybe this is wrong. So it's an assumption that maybe Peggy was being abused by their father as well. So she probably had a rough life too. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know. It's hard to speculate, but I, I bet she went through some difficult things growing up as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely not that that gives her any right to have, have been having an affair or any of this, but yeah, this, this Earl must have just had some spell over these women. So, well, let's bring this episode full circle and end with our Rocky Mountain Redemption of the Week. Yes, Arizona, we love you. We don't mean to pick on you. (laughs) Yeah, so here's our positive news story from the Good News Network. Melanie Shahaw of Arizona said she didn't mind being sick, but she does mind looking sick. Yep, Melanie lost all of her hair during a third battle with brain cancer and her son stepped in with a solution. After two very successful surgeries in 2003 and 2006, she had to undergo radiation therapy in 2017. Shortly after, she of course lost all of her hair. Yeah, it all started out as a joke actually around the kitchen table that Melanie's son Matt should grow out his hair to give to his mom. In 2022, he was able to chop off 12 full inches. He sent his hair to Compassionate Creations in Newport Beach, California. They are a company that makes custom wigs And they made a new head of hair just for Melanie. The wig actually looks amazing. Yes. Mm -hmm. We'll post pictures of it, but it's a gorgeous color and you wouldn't even realize that it's a wig. No, you totally wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Take note, Ora Morris, this is how you wear a hair (laughs) piece. Exactly. She looks great. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even put those together when I was writing the episode. (laughs) Yeah luckily for Melanie, Matt has fantastic hair and it looks great on her. Yeah. Melanie said, Matt said, it looks great on me. It sure fills your emotional cup. Yeah. That's so nice. Way to go, Matt. i oh, want a good son. Yeah. Way to go, Arizona. So until next time, we'll see you next week, next Wednesday. So until next time, wait back. Do you think our audience knows what comes next? Every episode we say, until next time. Our longtime listeners know for sure what's coming next. But our new listeners, maybe not. Everyone should claim their sticker. You'll find the details in the show notes so they can remember how we close every episode. Yes. So whether or not you know what's coming, make sure you hop on social media and grab yourself a sticker with our catchphrase. So until next time, keep
1: keep your hands hands
0: clean. clean. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And please go follow us on our social medias. Um, we'd love to hear your comments and we want you to see all the pictures and the sources that we've posted. Our Instagram and our Facebook, again, are Rocky Mountain Red-Handed and our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. And don't forget to email us. Yes. What's that email? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us your case recommendations from your local community. Have a great day.